You know, this morning we're going to talk about, about storms. Um, when I was a kid, I, I used to like thunderstorms. And, and this is going to sound maybe a little weird, but uh, I remember as a kid, whenever there would be a thunder and lightning storm, my mom would put on Dvorak's New World Symphony on the record players. So that dates me a little bit. Um, which was, if you're familiar with, with the New World Symphony, it's, it's somewhat bombastic, it's somewhat loud. And I remember we would sit by the window and look out at the, star, you know, at the sky with the thunderstorm and the lightning and, and just watch the lightning dance on the sky while listening to that music. I, I, and maybe that's why I enjoy thunder and lightning storms. I look back on that with, with some fond memories. Um, but you know, it's one thing to experience a storm where you're safe and secure inside your house. Right? It's, it's a totally different thing to ex- experience a storm that's unexpected and totally rocks your world. Um, I don't know what's going on in your personal life right now. You know, maybe on a personal note, you feel like, hey, life is beautiful. It's like a beautiful, sunny day. Or, or maybe you would describe your personal life as it's more like overcast skies. Or, 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 or maybe you would describe your life right now as more a tsunami, you know, and you feel like, you're being beaten by the waves that just keep crashing on, on you and hitting and pounding your chest. And all at the same time, there's this undercurrent, this undertow underneath that's trying to yank out your feet from the foundation that you have. And so the beating is almost impossible, but then you get this, this, this foundation, this undertow, and you might feel like you're starting to lose your footing. Now, I would certainly say that as a church, as a family, we're experiencing some, some stormy times. And you know, stormy times can bring all kinds of, they can bring all kinds of emotions. They can bring fear, can bring anger, questions, doubts. You know, it's one thing to anticipate the storm. It's another thing when the storm catches you totally unprepared. Almost exactly a year ago today, there was an ultramarathon race in China. It was on May 22nd, uh, 2021. 172 participants lined up to run a, a 62-mile ultra marathon. It was in Beijing, Gansu, Providence, in, in China. And, and the race was, it was a mountain race. It was going to go through the Yellow River Stone Forest Park. And the race was going just fine as it began. And for the first three hours, everything was fine. But then um, the runners, dressed in shorts and T-shirts, began to experience an intense storm that came out of nowhere. The storm consisted of strong winds, of freezing, of freezing temperatures, of rain that ended up turning into hail. And race organizers scrambled and tried their very, very best to rescue the runners off of the mountain. But as a result of that sudden storm, 21 runners died of hypothermia, including two of China's top marathon athletes. Tragic, tragic. Well, in our passage today, we're going to read of a hurricane-like tempest that threatens the lives of, of the disciples on, on the Sea of Galilee. And, and, and we want to try to see what we can learn about why God allows us to go through storms and how to deal with the storms of life. And I trust that, that our, this will be encouraging and helpful to you today, even as we weather storms of our lives. Let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you. Lord, that even as we gather here today, Lord, that you gather with us. We thank you, Father, that you have given to us your word, that, that we might be able to make sense of, of life and, and circumstances, that we, we might know the truth that gives us guidance and direction. And so I, I pray today, Lord, that you would help us. Lord, help us, I pray, encourage our hearts, minister to us, 
I, I pray that, that you would allow your word to be an encouragement. And uh, Lord, I, I just pray, allow your spirit to, to do exactly the work that he wants to do in this place today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bible, you can go ahead and turn. The passage we're going to be taking a look at is in Mark chapter 4. But you know, as, as, as we get started here, I want to suggest to you that when life is hard, when life is hard, there are three crucial truths that we have to know about God to sustain us. And these are the truths that we need to understand about God. That God is sovereign, that he is wise, and that he is good. It's kind of like a three-legged stool. If you don't have all three legs, if you don't have all three of these truths, that, that you know, the stool doesn't stand. And that's true of, of what we're talking about today when it comes to understanding who God is. So the sovereignty of God is, is this idea that he's the one who's in charge. He, he's the one who has all power. You know, when you say someone's a sovereign, they're like the king or the queen. They're the one who sits on the throne. They're, they're, they're ruling. And so God is our sovereign. He's, he's in charge. He, he has all power. We talk about God being wise. It, it means that he knows what he is doing. You know, knowledge is to know something. But wisdom is to know how to apply that knowledge. So God is sovereign, God is wise, and the last one to say is that God is good. And that is that he cares about us. He wants what's best for us, that he loves us. So you might ask, well, why is it important that God possesses all three of these qualities or these attributes? Well, for example, think of it this way. If God is sovereign, all right, he's in charge and he's good, but he's not wise, he, he may not know what he's doing. That's a problem. Or, or how about this one? Let's say that, that God is wise, he knows what he's doing, and he's good, but, but he's not sovereign. That is, he doesn't have the power to actually do what he wants to do. Or, or, or how about this one? God is sovereign, and he's wise, but he's not good. And if that's the case, we're all in trouble. If God is not good. But fortunately, Scripture teaches us that God possesses all three of these qualities. And that makes all the difference. So with that being said, if you're in Mark chapter 4, we're going to begin reading in verses 35. Mark chapter 4, beginning in verses 35. And this is what it says. It says, That day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with them. And a furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him, and they said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drowned? I'm going to stop right there, and we'll come back. But, but the first thing we notice here is this storm. Okay, it's the storm. You know, it wasn't uncommon for storms to come up quickly on the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is 690 feet below sea level. As a matter of fact, it is the lowest freshwater lake in the world. And it was situated in a basin that's surrounded by mountains, and it's, it's particularly susceptible for, for these violent storms. The, the, the cooler air that would come from the Mediterranean would be drawn into this narrow mountain uh, passway, and, and when it would hit the, the hot, humid air uh, of the lake, it would create storms. matter of fact, in 1992... There was actually a, an intense storm that generated over 10-foot waves that caused a, a lot of flooding and a lot of damage um, in, in, around the Sea of Galilee. You know, and while it might not be uncommon for storms to come up quickly, this was a unique storm. 
This was a storm like none they had ever experienced before. I mean, we, you remember that many of the fishermen or many of the uh, disciples were professional fishermen. They knew how to handle their boats. They, they, they knew what it was like to be on storms on, on the Sea of Galilee. But, but in our passage here, it tells us in verse 37, it says the waves are, broken, are breaking over the sides of the boat. I mean, they, they, can't, they can't bail water fast enough out of the boat. And it says here that they feared that they were going to be swamped. I mean, this must have been quite the storm because they feared that they were going to die. Before we go any further, I want us to notice, though, this, this, whose idea was it that they get into the boat to go across the lake? And if you notice, it, it says in verse 35, it says it was Jesus' idea. Jesus told them to get into the boat to go across the lake. And I want to suggest to you that God is up to something in, in this passage. And that the disciples are totally unaware of what it is. God has a plan. He is wise. He knows what he is doing. And when oftentimes when we are totally oblivious, God is at work. God has something that he wants the disciples to learn about him. I mean, as a matter of fact, the Apostle Mark, in the beginning of the Gospel, he writes down this account and he says, he says, I am writing these things in Mark chapter 1, verse 1. He says, so that you might know that Jesus is the Son of God. And can I suggest to you that if you are personally going through storms in your life right now, that God has allowed that for a purpose? I want to say yes, that's the same thing for us as a church. God knew that we would be going through the circumstances we find ourselves in right now before the beginning of time. This is not catching God off, catching God unaware. I mean, to believe that God is up to something good Do you you believe that God wants to use this in the life of East Bay Calvary Church to grow us and to make us more like Christ? Well, the first truth we have to be convinced about God is that he is wise. That is, he he knows what he is doing, that he has a plan. He is the one who instructed the disciples to get into the boat. So the first thing we notice is the storm. The second thing that we notice here is the disciples' response to the storm. It says they go to Jesus who is sleeping on a cushion towards the back of the boat. I mean, just the fact that that Jesus is sleeping points to to his humanity. And the context of these verses tells us that Jesus has been teaching the crowds all day long. If you remember, it it says that that the crowds were were pushing in so much that he actually got into a boat and they shoved out a little bit. And he's been teaching all day. and, and, And now, obviously, he's very, very tired. He must have been really tired if he's been able to sleep through this massive storm. And so the disciples go to him and they wake him because they're afraid they're going to drown. And they say to Jesus, don't you care? Don't you care if we drowned? Now, why did the disciples say that? I mean, why is it that they're afraid? I would suggest that they're operating under a false premise. They believe that if God loved them, that he wouldn't let them go through storms like this. They felt like God must have abandoned them because like, God was asleep when they needed him, and, and since that was true, they concluded he must not care. I mean, have you ever felt that way? I mean, have you ever felt like God was asleep and he didn't care what you were going through when you are going through trials and, and difficulties? I mean, why, why are we responding like this? It's, it's because they, they don't understand who Jesus is. I mean, if they had known that Jesus is all power and cares for them, they, they wouldn't have been afraid. The disciples had no reason to question Jesus' love for them. I mean, they had witnessed many, many, many acts of his kindness and his love for people. 
I mean, what does fear tend to do to us? You know, our, our immediate response to, to fear is, is oftentimes it's fight or flight, right? And so, so fear can cause us to get angry and, and to think that the other person doesn't love us. It, it can cause us to fight because we're trying to get some kind of a sense of, of, of control in what we want. Well, fear can also, can also make us to want just, just to run away. I'm done. I, I don't want this. And the disciples' fear caused them to question Jesus' care for them and to have, have doubts. God wasn't, doesn't want us to respond in either way, right? He doesn't want us to fight or flight. He doesn't want us to try to fix the problem in our own strength, by our own means. Instead, God wants us to trust him and run to him. And so let's continue on in this passage. So beginning in verse 39, we read this. He got up. He rebuked the wind, and he said to the waves, Be quiet, <clears throat> be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified, and they asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. So that the next thing we see in this passage is, is, is Jesus or Christ's response to the storm. Jesus simply said to the storm, be quiet. Be still. I mean, just think about that. To a hurricane, Jesus simply says, be quiet. And the storm obeys. I mean, it's like Jesus is talking to an unruly little child, and he says, sit down and be quiet. And notice it says here that the winds died down, and it was completely calm. There was a silence. The water was absolutely like glass. It makes me think of, you know, when you hear stories about people who say that they've gone through a tornado and they talk about that it sounded like a freight train was coming through, and Jesus says, stop. Silence. Um, Many years ago, my family and I, we took a trip, a vacation to the Outer Banks along the Atlantic coastline in North Carolina. And when we arrived, there was a hurricane that had just passed off off of the, it didn't hit land, it had passed off off the, uh, in in the ocean. And even though that hurricane had already passed, the waves were breaking on the shore that were, were, were huge. They were immense. And, and, and I want you to notice that, you know, there's one thing for Jesus to stop these hurricane-like winds. But, it, but it's another thing for Jesus to make the water to stop seething. And that's exactly what happened, according to what Scripture says. He didn't just perform one miracle. He performed two miracles. The wind and the wave. Pff, done. You know, the ancients believed that the sea was an uncontrollable power that could only be controlled by God. And, you know, and so legends have it that, that, that people would exercise power and try to do miracles, and they would say, in the name of Zeus, or in the name of Apollos, or whatever their god was, I say. But that's not what we have in this text. Jesus doesn't call on a higher power. Jesus is able to exercise the power that only God has. Jesus is basically demonstrating by his actions that he is not just someone who has power, but that he is power. Now think about that. If that is true, what are the implications? I mean, if the world was created by accident from the Big Bang, then then when you die, you know, you go back to earth, you, you cease to exist, and whatever you've done in this life makes absolutely no difference at all. But... If Jesus is the Lord of the storm, then no matter what's going on in the world, what's going on in our own lives, right? you will find that Jesus can provide all the healing, all, all the rest, all the power 
that you could ever possibly want. Jesus is demonstrating that he is the sovereign over the storm. So, so far we've seen in this passage that Jesus is wise. He, he knows what he's doing. He has a plan. We, we see in this passage that he is the, the sovereign. He's the Lord of the storm. Let's take a look at the next thing, and that is the response of the disciples to Jesus. The response of the disciples to Jesus. So, so before, the, before Jesus calms the storm, they're terrified. They, they're afraid. Everything is going wrong. They are sinking, and it seems to them that God is absent, that, that, that God is unaware that he's asleep. But if they had known who Jesus was, they would have actually taken comfort in the fact that he was asleep in the boat because his sleep would have indicated that, hey, everything's fine. It's going to be all right. Because he wasn't panicked. But notice after Jesus calms the storm, it says now they are even more terrified than they were in the storm. Now why is that? Because Jesus was, an unman- was as unmanageable as the storm, but even more so. I mean, I mean, the storm had immense power. They couldn't control it. But Jesus has infinitely more power than the storm because he can speak words and storms obey him, and they have even less control over him. I mean, they had seen storms before, but they had never seen anything like this power to calm a storm. I mean, who's the only one who can calm a storm like this? To be in the presence of one with this much power terrified the disciples. You know, the difference is this. A storm doesn't love them. Nature can be violent and very, very destructive. But Jesus, who has more power than the storm, loves us. He cares for us. The disciples, they didn't understand that if Jesus is God, then he's got to be great enough to have some reason to let them go through these storms that they can't understand. His power, his sovereignty is unbounded, but so are his wisdom and his love. If the disciples had really understood, if they had known that Jesus is both sovereign, loving, and wise, they would not have been scared. If they had known that he was the Son of God, they would not, that would have made all the difference. If Jesus is in your boat, there's no need to be afraid. Let me say that again. If Jesus is in your boat in the midst of the storm, there's no need to be afraid. See, their premise was this. If Jesus loved them, he wouldn't let, quote-unquote, bad things happen to them. But that's wrong. He can love us and still let, quote-unquote, bad things happen to us. Why? Because he's God and he knows better than we ever will. So we serve a God who takes hard times, who takes storms, and he uses them for good in our own lives if we will allow him to do that. The disciples don't know who Jesus is, and that's why they respond. If you notice in the text, he says, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. In a parallel passage to this in Luke chapter 8, the disciples respond this. They say, what kind of man is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. I believe that's part of what God's doing in this passage. He's helping the disciples come to grips with who is Jesus. Now notice Jesus' response to his disciples. In in verse 40, Jesus asks the disciples, where is 
is your faith? Where is your faith? Jesus is prompting them to see that the central factor in their faith is not its strength, but its object. I know if you've ever been to Pictured Rocks, it's a beautiful place. I love that, hiking up on top of the bluff, you know, and, and they have 200, 300-foot sheer drop-offs. Let's say that you're, you're hiking along there, you get too close to the cliff, right, and, and you're falling, you start to fall, and, and there's a branch that's sticking out, right, and, and you're not sure if it, how strong it is, you know, is it going to be strong enough to hold you, but as you are falling, right, you have just enough time to grab a hold of that branch, okay? Question. How much faith do you have to have in that branch for it to save you? Must you be totally sure that it's strong enough to save you? And the answer is no. You only have, enough, have to have enough faith to grab a hold of the branch. It is not the quality of your faith or the amount of your faith that saves you. It's the object of your faith that saves you. In this passage, even though their faith is faltering in the midst of a frightening storm, the sovereign Lord Jesus rescues his followers. And Jesus wants to teach us a critical lesson. We can trust him in the midst of a frightening situation. We can trust him in the midst of a storm. And you know, if you're struggling in your faith, word is this? I mean, this is what Scripture would say, is go to Jesus and ask him to help you to believe. Hebrews 12 tells us that he is the author and the perfecter of our faith. We need to learn of Jesus. Who is he? Is he the object of your faith? And if he is, it will impact your faith. And in this passage, the disciples are learning about the sovereignty and the wisdom and the love of Christ. You know, in, in a similar situation, the disciples, again, are out on the Sea of Galilee. It's nighttime, and they have this encounter with Jesus when he's walking on the water, and it says they are absolutely terrified. And Jesus calms the wind, but this time, this time they worship Jesus, and they say, truly, you are the Son of God. The disciples are learning. Who is Jesus? And the more you come to know the object of your faith, the stronger your faith will be. The more you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ, the more you will be able to trust him. Now, what are some of the implications for, for us today? At times we go through the storms of life and we feel like God's asleep and he doesn't care. But that's just not true. When the disciples asked Jesus, teacher, don't you care if we drowned? I mean, think about that. Do you realize Jesus certainly could have responded, you have no idea how much I love you and care about you. You have no idea that the whole reason that I even came to this earth is to rescue you, and not just from a storm of life, but from the storm created by your own sin that you are so that you are rescued for eternal life. That's why... Jesus, that's why in, in John 15, 13, Jesus tells his disciples, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends. You know, someday Jesus is, is going to calm all storms, to still all waves, to destroy all brokenness. But how does he do that? 
on the cross, Jesus is thrown into the ultimate storm under the ultimate waves of sin and death. Jesus was thrown into the only storm that could actually sink us. And that's the storm of eternal justice because of our sin. And that storm wasn't calm until Jesus was swept away. And when you understand that Jesus went into the ultimate storm for you, you will never say, God, don't you care? And if you know that he, did, he wouldn't abandon you in the ultimate storm, then what makes you think that he would abandon you in the midst of the smaller storms that you are experiencing right now? Someday Jesus will return, and all the storms will be taken care of for all of eternity. And if you let that truth sink to the core of your being, you will know God loves you. You will know that he cares about you. You will know that he is the sovereign power to help you handle anything life throws at you. Also that he is wise, and he wants to use that for your good. So we've seen in this passage this morning that Jesus is sovereign. He's the one who's over all. He is all power. He's, he's in control. We've seen that he is wise. He knows what he's doing. We've seen that he is good, that he actually he does love us and care deeply for us. And because that's true, he can be trusted in the midst of whatever storms we're going through as a church or whatever storm you may be going through personally. And so let me just ask this question as we wrap up. Are, are you trying to weather the storm by yourself? The greatest storms in our lives is our own sin. And I just ask this, have you ever acknowledged your sin before holy God? That is that you have repented of your sin and, and put your trust in Jesus' death on the cross as a payment required for your sins to be forgiven? I mean, Jesus is God. And if you're willing to place your faith in Jesus to be the rescuer from your sin, then indeed he will save you. I mean, the challenge this morning, if you've never done that, is, is to do that today. Is to put your faith, repent and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And, and as a follower of Jesus Christ, you know, are you going through a storm today? Jesus wants you to see that he has allowed it for your good. To grow you. For you to learn more about him so that you can grow in faith. Become more like Christ. So the question is, how are you responding? I, I want to encourage you to preach this message that I'm sharing with you today to your own heart. I mean, if you're going to make personal application for you, it would probably sound something like this. When something hard comes into your life, you're probably going to have to have a conversation with yourself. Because, you know, you're talking to yourself all the time, right? You talk to yourself more than anybody else does. Unfortunately, most of the things you say to yourself aren't very helpful. <laughs> and so this is what you need to be saying to yourself when you're going through struggles and when you're going through trials and when life is hard. Okay, Lord, I know you're sovereign, which means you could have stopped this, but you didn't. Okay, Lord, I know you're wise, which means you must have a plan. You're up, you have something going on. You have something you want me to learn from this. You want to grow me and teach me. Okay, Lord, I know you're good. That is, mean you, you love me and you care about me, right? You're not just being stupid, right? And then say, okay, and work that into your being and say, okay, Lord, what are you trying to teach me here? Right? How do you want me to grow? 
how do you want me to respond? I'm serious. You need to have that conversation with yourself when you are going through trials and struggles and hardship and pain. Because if you don't, the natural inclination of our heart is to go to bad places. You know what I'm saying? And I don't know about you, but I've had to say that to myself a whole bunch over the last couple of weeks. To try to work this through. I mean, it's one thing to know it here. It's another thing to work it into your heart. It's another thing to work it into your life. Right? And so we have got to take these through. You, you realize, I mentioned this in my Sunday school class this morning, every one of us knows how to meditate. We're actually really, really good at meditating. You know what meditating is? Meditating is running the same, these, these thoughts, right, through, through your head all the time. You know when we worry, we meditate really, really well. Right? We run these thoughts through our heads all the time. I mean, the world's idea of meditation, right, is empty your mind, you don't think. That's not the Bible's idea of meditation. The Bible's idea of meditation is to take God's word, what I'm just talking about right here, God is sovereign, he's wise, and he's good. Take God's word, take his truth, and put that in your mind to shove out those things that are causing you so much fret and so much worry, and, right? And start putting those truths, and then let those things run around in your head until you get them into your heart, until they actually start to impact your stress level. You know what I'm saying? So they actually impact how you live your life. That's my prayer for us as a church. That God would take the storm we're going through. And he would help just like those disciples as they were going through that storm. They had no idea who Jesus was. I mean, if they wouldn't, if they would have known that the God of the universe who created, right, who, makes, who made the world, who spoke the world, into the, was in their boat, and they were looking at us like, he's asleep, I guess it's okay, guys. Right? And you, you and I realize Jesus is in our boat. He is. Jesus is with us. This church is not our church. This is his church. Jesus died for this church. Jesus loved this church more than any of us in this room does. You know? And we can trust him. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we, we do thank you for your word. <clears throat> Lord, I just love this picture of Jesus in the boat in the midst of a storm. Because it's a picture I can grab a hold of in my mind. Father, you haven't forsaken us. And Lord, even the disciples, they just didn't get it. You know, it's like, Lord, don't you care? Oh, Lord, man, we know the cross is forever, ever proven that that's not a good question. Lord, we know that you care. And I pray, Father, you would help us. Help us, Lord, to learn to trust you. Lord, help us to work these truths into our heart that we would see that you're up to something good, even though this is hard, because it is. But I pray, Father, I, and I, you know, I don't know what's going on in the hearts and lives of the people in this room. Lord, there may be somebody that are going through this trials, the trials of life, and, and they're just not doing well, and it's because they don't even know you. And they're trying to do this all by themselves. Thank you, Father, that, that we don't have, that doesn't have to be the case. That's why Jesus came. So that we can have a personal relationship with the God of the universe. We can be forgiven of our sins. We can enter into this relationship, and we can live a, a dependent life on you. 
Oh God, I pray, forgive us. Forgive us, Lord, for trying to live a life where we're dependent upon ourselves. Forgive us, Father, for grieving your hearts. When you want to help us and we don't let you, Forgive us, Father, for our, our pride when we think we can handle this by ourselves without you. And so, Lord, I pray. I, you know, I, I don't know, but Lord, you do. I pray, do a work. Do a work that only you can do. And Lord, help us to learn to trust you in the midst of a storm. To come to know who you are even more. That we might learn to love you and grow in our faith making us more like Jesus, we pray in his name. Amen.